0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life
1: Be real!
0: Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing, reappraising, and director interviewing podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real. My name is Chance Solomon pfeiffer and I'm Noah Ballard. Noah Ballard, you and I are setting up an interview today. Um, I got the chance to talk to to Mark Webber about some of his acting career, and more notably, uh, the the new film that he's made, "Place of No Words." He's on an interesting string of what he calls reality cinema, which is where he sort of takes some part of his life. And uh, extrapolates it fictionally, um, often playing himself, often casting real people in his own life. So we're going to talk about Place of No Words, and we got an interview with Mark coming up. Um, what do you know Mark Weber from?
1: I know him as the maybe son, spoiler, from Broken Flowers.
0: The Jim Jarmusch movie with Bill Murray?
1: Yeah, and then of course... Um Scott Pilgrim versus The World, he's a bit part in.
0: Yeah, I knew him from Green Room, which we talk about. We talk about Scott Pilgrim coming up. We talk about uh, Jim Jarmusch a bit. Um, But yeah, he's got this interesting run of semi-autobiographical, truly um, DIY films. And The Place of No Words is the latest. I I would call it sort of like a reversed semi-improvisatory princess bride. It's, it's like Mark and his son Bodhi are kind of in a fantasy realm of Bodhi's with trolls and witches and uh, hints of mystical creatures but it's all sort of, you see in a kind of non-narrative way how it's reflected in this other fictionalized life that Bodhi and Mark and uh, they're mother and wife respectively Teresa palmer are are living in
1: i think we were texting about it earlier and you described it well as uh where the wild things are-esque i think it's almost like it's like terrence malick by way of spike jones but also like very concerned with this particular artist mark weber's uh nuclear family and the idea of what I mean, it seems like the idea of loss and losing a parent uh, is quite meaningful for Mr. Weber because uh, he's kind of addressed that in two of his movies.
0: I watched *Flesh and Blood* too, which is which is currently on Prime. Um, *Place of No Words* drops on VOD on the twenty third of October. But it's interesting how he can he can juggle this idea across different styles too. In *Flesh and Blood*, he plays a um, a version of himself that. Kind of never got out of the Philadelphia street life, and you see him get out of prison and then come and live with his mom and his and his younger brother, and that sort of has a docu-realistic kind of Deborah Granick feel to it. And as you said, this this new one is is Malikian. Um A couple things that I liked about it are when you see. Mark and his son in the fantasy realm. They're like pretty gnarly looking. Like I really thought it was going to be a sort of, you know, the Starks venturing out into the wild wilderness and like, keep your it, head up, son, or I'm going to get cut in half. <laughs>
1: it kind of has Valhalla rising vibes.
0: That's what I was trying to, th- I couldn't remember the name of that movie.
1: It's Reffin, right? It's Reffin, Yeah. Well, when I, I watched the opening scene of, of the movie and then thought about the title and I was like, Oh, is it another like Vikings who don't speak to each other for ninety minutes movie? That's what I thought,
0: and so there is a sort of pleasant surprise where you know mark in a in a coat that looks like it's from two grizzly bears and weighs forty five pounds is like coming up this cliff face with his son, and he's like oh you got you got a runny nose there, buddy <laughs> It's not the kind of parenting you expect to see in that aesthetic um and really it is a a movie, and this is what Mark and I spend the most of our time talking about, about um, parenting and in some ways, like some real uh, pressing questions about like when to introduce a child to the idea of death.
1: Absolutely. I was definitely moved. I think if you're in the mood to be moved a little bit and you're in the mood to like put your cell phone down and like, get into some of these bigger questions of you know especially if you either have like a kid on the way or a young kid in your life uh you know and when that that moment comes where you have to have some of these fantasy breaking fantasy ending coming of age moments with them um it yeah i there were there were at least two points where i became the the big wet eye emoji uh found on your keyboard
0: should we uh, turn this over to two microphone having emojis and go to the conversation with Mark Weber?
1: I'm giving you the thumbs up emoji
2: once upon a time words began to vanish from the language of children they disappeared so quietly please stay here with me Enter the wood with
0: care, my love. It deals in things that are missing and things that are hidden.
2: I don't know if there ever really is a right time. There's a wrong time and it's never.
0: You believe in magic, don't you? Am I dreaming? I see a whole world of your eyes. What's happening? Mark. Hey. How you doing? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for hopping on today. I appreciate it, man.
2: Yeah, no, totally. Thanks for having me.
0: Maybe we could just start with something random in the new movie. There's a moment that took me aback um, in which a character in the fantasy realm starts reciting the lyrics to a Bright Eyes song. How <laughs> did that make it in?
2: Um, You know, Bright Eyes, his music has... It's been really influential to me. Uh, You know, I remember first listening to his one of his first albums when i was you know my my early 20s mm-hmm. um and it just i don't know it just formed a, a a time for me and in, in living in new york and um and the interesting thing is is that in the the end of love uh the first film that i made with my two-year-old son isaac well when he was two at the time um had a clip of bright eyes music in there oh, okay um and you know, I was just listening to that song one day, and the lyrics just had an interesting uh, relevancy to to the film, you know, yeah. and to some of the themes of the movie. And I thought, you know, let's let's go for it.
0: I suppose that makes sense. I mean, I, th- I think about that song like literally, and it seems like sort of the reverse side of a, a night out. But your movie is all about the reverse side of a of a fantasy land.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: That makes sense. So- so maybe we could kind of walk backward into the notion of reality cinema, actually. Because I think when you, when you bring it up around uh, people who make films or write films or talk about them, the, the special part is the reality part. It's what makes it so different from, from other movies. But when I was thinking about it on like a personal level, I, I had to imagine it's, it might still be the pretending that is the special part. I mean, not every, almost nobody gets to set foot in an alternate reality of yeah. their own life. And you've now done it four times. Um, yeah. What's that like
2: for you? It's, it's deeply fulfilling. And I, I think about it so much, you know, the older I get um, and I just feel so grateful that I'm able to fully express myself as an artist and do it with people that I love. So it feels like even more of a gift. And that's something that I've strived for, you know, it's been part of my intention is to try to uh, carve a different path and way for myself um, as an independent filmmaker, kind of distance myself from the pack a bit. I get so much out of it. And then of course, you know, um, I'm gonna get another thing out of it 10 years from now and another 10 years from now. Um, Mm and that's the beautiful thing of, about i think filmmaking um and making films you know they if they can hang around or or be talked about uh and revisited throughout different periods of time they take on different meanings um and that excites me you know
0: i was thinking about that actually with um to take a side road for a second the 10 year of scott pilgrim just happened and that that really felt like a I mean, obviously, people have always loved that movie, but it kind of felt like a coronation of like this is going to be one of the movies for another thirty or forty years that's just widely beloved. Did you feel a burst of energy around that?
2: So much! It was amazing, and it was you know, and and to have a little bit of that that vision, knowing that that's w- was going to be the case for the film back then. You mm. know, really, um, you could tell. You could tell. You know, we we definitely we we all still know to this day mm-hmm. how special of a group of people it was that was brought together. Um, and Edgar's just such a tremendous filmmaker. We could tell, you know, this movie was doing a particular thing in a way that hadn't really been seen before. And, you know, sometimes people have to, catch up, you know? And and I like, I've been a part of, I guess, (laughs) a bunch of quote unquote, like cult classic films in my life. And I love it. You know, it's, it's almost like you watch other films explode and get a lot of attention and then fade away into obscurity or just get buried by the sheer amount of other works coming out. And so it's really nice to be a part of something that, is getting rediscovered and celebrated ten years after the fact, and and seeing like, okay, yeah, this is this this has got legs. This is gonna yeah. be this is gonna be around for a while. It's, yeah, you'll so probably cool. be
0: doing something at twenty
2: and probably at thirty. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, totally, and that's that's really awesome. You know, things that can stand the test of time. Um, I think you know, any filmmaker, any actor, any person would be lying if they didn't say that that's something that you hope for to happen with things that you're a part of. Right.
0: Mark, I've heard you say that you're in terms of your filmmaking taste that at a certain point you just became obsessed with realism and authenticity in terms of your own work. Was there a particular light bulb moment for you where you found that that was the case?
2: I, I, I think it was like, I think a lot of things happening a bit of a reaction to the process of the way films are typically made and, and um, the, the structure of it, there's a tendency of this baked in kind of hierarchical way that I never loved, you know, about like above the line and below the line and certain terminology that like I was becoming, I was waking up to how, okay, this has been functioning and serving making films one way. And it, doesn't really help filmmaking so much Mm -hmm. you know i i could see how on films that i was a part of just as an actor how the typical way of making a film and and the process and the labels were holding back uh making something interesting and were in fact making things more difficult and so that was part of it as well too. I was like, okay, I want to. I want to. When I start making films as a director, I want to create the ultimate environment, not just for me as a performer, but for the people that I, I bring in to make this thing. I really want this to be, uh, a, celebration and a joint experiment. Speaking
0: of maybe hierarchical breakdown, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about this new movie is that as you're watching it, it really feels. Like, it is authored in a major way by Bodhi. I mean, you're you're getting these extrapolations of, um, you know, what he's doing with his toys and his instruments in the in the real world and, and how that's transitioning. But also, just, like, the rhythms of the movie is you being like, so where do you want to go? And yeah. it's like, over there, yeah. like, five or six different times. Yeah. Um, was there, like, a sort of... Why did that feel like the right question to ask when you're making the movie? Where do you want to go, son?
2: Because it's it's uh, it's how I think every parent lives their life in so many ways, and for me, having children, it, it, it was waking up to the fact: okay, this isn't just about me anymore. In mm-hmm. fact, it's about you, and and how can I be the best version of myself to serve you as a as a little person to have. Um, a better life uh, a meaningful life a life that's maybe a bit more free of some of the fear or doubts that i had when i was younger and i wanted to really honor how a child's mind works and and is free the way that that you grew up um
0: unhoused for for a part of your for a part of your youth um, what what kind of doubts it, did you have that was important for you to, or is important for you to try to dispel with your with your kids?
2: When you grow up in a in a uh, a capitalist, materialistic world, uh, a consumer based world, um, where you're constantly being overtly and subvertly conditioned by uh, stuff to tell you that like, you need more stuff. If you get more stuff, that's going to make you better. Uh, that's going to make you feel happier, um, be it money or fame or items. When I experienced the type of poverty that I experienced and not having these things, especially at an age, you know, 10 years old, where it's very much about at least then it was as a kid, the things that you have, you know, the sneakers sure. that you're wearing, the video game. Do you have a Nintendo yet? Do you not? So my, my self-esteem took a, took a big hit with my children. Um, self-love and self-esteem are, are so important and creating, helping create moments of distinction for them of like, what is an esteemable act? What is how to feel whole?
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's funny because, you know, as, as kids, you're you're people-pleasing on some level. You want your parents to be happy with you. You want your friends. You want the world. And you are experiencing this loss of innocence over time.
0: So Bodhi was three when you made this, right? Mm-hmm. There's, like, some really tough conversations about death um, that you hear being had and... Uh, um, Maybe the hardest part of that actually is kind of you can hear in in Bodhi's voice sort of like the breakdown between the the metaphor of "You'll be in my heart" is not enough. That's not what I want. I uh, I can't live in the metaphor of this. Um, what was it like to have those conversations for the movie? Did was there a lot of explaining that went into it before and after?
2: So much, and that I'm glad you brought up that that particular sequence because that was real. It was a mm. real conversation. Mm. And that happened about seven months after we had been done filming. Oh, really? That was a real moment between Bodhi and I laying in bed. And something in particular kind of triggered him and he got vulnerable and he was having this vulnerable moment and he opened up about uh, not wanting me to die. Hmm. And also not wanting mom to die and his brothers or his sisters and and just having a real moment and I hit record on my phone, on my voice memo on my phone. Um, Because being in the midst of the editing process of the film and just like meditating and marinating and swimming in this sea of of all these big, tough questions and in, in the midst of making the movie and then Oh wow! Here we are in real life. All this effort into making this this piece of art with my film, uh, with my son now is it, here's the real life moment, and so I captured that, and then I used it as a backdrop throughout this you know particular sequence in the film, and
0: do you sorry do you feel like the film jogged that loose for him? I th- or no way to know?
2: I think. I think a bit of both. I think what I've, it's been interesting going on these journeys with, with now both of my, my children is that I there's a bit of magic timing. There's a bit of me knowing as a parent, okay, this making this film with Bodhi at this age and talking about what we're gonna do and what this film is about is gonna resonate with him. And it's, just, it's, co- it's coinciding with where he really at, is at as a, as a little guy. Bodhi has not seen the film all the way through, right? Because first and foremost, I talk about this a lot, like I never stop being a dad, I'm a dad first and protecting him emotionally, exposing him to challenging things and then talking about it in a safe way is what this film was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, now it exists as it's, it's this piece that is pretty emotionally, it can get intense and a, a bit complicated. And for him, I don't think it would have necessarily been appropriate to watch it you know straight away yeah and so now he kind of is at that age and he'll be he'll be seven and, in february and i have this new kind of built-in experience where we get to celebrate this thing and watch it together but then also have a really great conversation about it um and what it brings up within him you know
0: That in itself is a really interesting notion that, like, based on what he could see when he was in it, he was ready to be in it, but not ready to see the thing.
2: Not ready to see it, because it works, it it works different, and it's funny, my my 12-year-old son, Isaac, he's 12 now, we made The End of Love when he was two, he still hasn't watched The End of Love, he's now at the age where he totally can watch it, Mm -hmm. and he looks at just the trailer, and it's too emotional for him, Mm. you know, and... Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of sensitive little guys yeah <laughs> and i'm very i'm very similar and i get it i relate i'm like i totally get it but bodie right now is like totally pissed off and wants to watch the place no words he's okay. ready for it yeah isaac can't still can't handle it but bodie is like dad i can see it I'm yeah gonna...
0: <laughs> stop calling me a sensitive little guy i'm ready to go
2: <laughs> i'm ready to go man i know
0: um this makes me wonder having seen flesh and blood this morning has your little brother stayed interested in filmmaking
2: yeah i'm i'm so man thanks for watching the movie this morning that's so cool like of course. I, um yeah my brother is something else man he is like his he is a writer um he's written a couple plays now he has a very unique cool voice um Quite talented. Um, he has used what with his disability, his being on the spectrum. He's embraced it and he's used it in a way that is very exciting to me. He's also a singer in a band. Oh wow! Awesome. Um, yeah, and he's and he's a filmmaker. He's a he's an artist. He's totally an artist. Um, and. I'm learning stuff from him now, which is so cool, you know? Um, he'll send me music and stuff. And I'm like, what, who is this? Like, That's cool. What? He's gonna contribute culturally to this world in a, in some significant way, I feel it, totally.
0: Speaking of contributing culturally, uh, I want to know what you what lessons you took away from working with Jim Jarmusch um, when you were in Broken Flowers, and then he produced your debut, right, or was one of the producers on it?
2: He did. You know, Jim Jim took on executive producer credit. It was the first time he had done it outside of his own work. Anything really? He
0: never had before. No, and
2: wow. he did. It, he did it for Explicit Ills at the time, and that was like such a like. And he did it because he wanted to protect me as an artist and he didn't want anyone who was giving money to make the film to want to try and take away final cut or anything and so here's a here's a tremendous cosign right and someone who was willing to step in and say no mark let mark do his thing that you couldn't really argue with because here's someone who has just made the films that he wants to make the way that he wants to make them and so it's set such a beautiful precedent for me and really protected me as a filmmaker and that is the single largest thing that I've taken away from from working with him is um how having a how to respectfully Assemble a group of people who believe in your vision and want to support you. Um, and, and just do the things that you want to do the way that you want to do them, while being kind and thoughtful. You don't yeah. have to be an asshole. You know? A lot
0: of visionaries aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. Do you have time for one green room question before I let you go? Of course. Yeah, totally. So that was made up kind of in, in my neck of the woods. Um, mm. It's one of the most intense theatrical experiences I've ever had. But then I was watching like a making of featurette last night and the set also looked super intense. Um, And it was just like Patrick Stewart being like, I'm standing in the rain. I'm not used to standing in the rain, but I like it. (laughs) What was that? What was the temperature of that production like for you?
2: I didn't really know so much about certain areas that, that, those neck of the woods um, and the little pockets of of white supremacy that exists. We've learned a lot more about the pockets in the last five years for sure. We have, right? Yeah. And so, you know, then I had a, you know, uh, I did a little deep dive into that and that was, that was concerning. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think also because we were, we knew we had some really awful hard stuff to tackle. So I think everyone was like, just really mindful of being extra uh, supportive of one mm-hmm. another, so that felt really great. We all knew we were making something really special. Uh, Jeremy is quite the visionary um, and his experience as a as a DP as well, and also with with makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all felt like we were in very great hands um, that we were going to achieve that intensity. Um,
0: but in a safe way.
2: But in a safe way, you know? And yeah, I, for me, I, I look at that movie and it's so, so bittersweet, you know? Anton right. was just such a beautiful man. He was such a great person, and we spent so much time on that film together, and my friend Alia Shawcat and um, my friend Eric Edelstein, it's really, I, I was actually just looking back at photos recently of behind-the-scenes stuff, and, and me and Anton has some pretty, pretty gnarly behind-the-scene photos where I'm in the full prosthetic of, like, my head blown off, and we're doing, like, poses together they are like oh no. so inappropriate but like it, amazing and I look at them now and it's of course you know I see it and I see a friend that I, that I lost in a tragic way too yeah. soon who had so much more to contribute to the world so it's extra special that film it's riled some people up and it's really people uh, people really love it for what we achieved in that and I'm, I'm just I feel so lucky man
0: What's the right age for the kids to see Green Room?
2: 50? Oh, yo, seriously. <laughs> like, never? God. Yeah. Um, right. But it's so funny. My guys, like, anything horror or thriller related, like, if, like, a preview comes on, like, my, I, I keep throwing Isaac under the bus. Because he's the funniest <laughs> one, though. Yeah. But, like, uh, a preview for, like, Annabelle or something came on. Like, anything right. puppets or things, he's like, turn it off, Dad. I'm like, yeah, no. Um... They don't even, like, Isaac doesn't even want to watch Dark Knight with me, you
0: mm,
2: know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that they'll discover a Green Room way, way yeah. later in life. No, if
0: it's an experience they want to have. Well, Mark, uh, such a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, yeah, man, totally. Congrats on just doing exactly what it seems like you want to do.
2: Thanks, bro. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time.
0: All right, cool. Well, good luck with the movie and hope to see you down the road sometime.
2: Thanks, man. Okay. Be well. Bye, you too.
1: Where do we go when we die?
2: Where do you think we go?
0: Well, many thanks to Mark for the conversation. You can uh, find his movie, Place of No Words, on VOD. And like I said, you can see his prior movie on Amazon Prime if that's your jam. You can also watch his first movie, Explicit Ills, on Amazon Prime. As well, a prime video. Um, Noah, what's our next category? You want to tell the people?
1: Yes. Uh, this week, we're in for the, the Halloween holiday. We're doing the Halloween movies of Tim Curry, a very Tim Curry Halloween, including, but not limited to, Rocky Horror Picture Show, the It Two Part TV movie, Legend. That's right. And then we may also talk Clue as well. We may refresh on that. We did that a couple years ago.
0: That we did. Rocky Horror is on Hulu. Uh, Stephen King's It from 1990 is available to rent on Prime. Clue, you said, is where? Free on Prime. Nice. And Legend is rentable. So we wish you all a very happy Halloween. And we're going to talk to you again. Oh, my, (laughs) sir. Those are the kind of truly homespun sound effects you can expect to hear next week. Please join us there. I'm telling
1: you, we gotta bring back the sound effects guy.
2: I know that it is freezing, but I think we have to walk.
0: I keep waving at the taxis, they keep turning their lights off.